Hello, I'm Connor O'Shea and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Jones Coaching Podcast. We're heading down under this week to speak to one of Australia's greatest sportsmen. When Ben Stokes hit those winning runs in the third test last year, it was literally the worst day of my coaching career. It was, it's like being in the World Cup final in rugby and being 30 points up at half time and you're kicking with the wind and someone scores eight tries to against you. To, it was like an impossible win. The Australia cricket head coach, Justin Langer, joins us this week to discuss rebuilding his team after the ball tampering scandal, his mantra to coaching, and what that Ben Stokes innings felt like watching and how he dealt with it. This is a good one, so sit back and enjoy. Welcome, uh, Justin. Really, really nice to meet you and uh, to have this opportunity. It's... Uh, for for people listening in, this is going to stretch my Irish knowledge of cricket, uh, so it's going to it's going to push me. But to be speaking to someone who has more, I believe, more first class runs overtook Don Bradman uh, in Australia, and to see the the CV that you have is uh, pretty special to have you on. So you know, massive thanks for for coming on, having a chat with, especially on a day like today. Uh, you know, the first T20 match tonight, so it's a it's a big day as well. So appreciate your time. No, pleasure. One, put it into perspective, it took Sir Donald Bradman about 400 games to, or 400 innings to make 28,000 runs. It took me about 4,000. So let's, let's put it into perspective, okay? <laughs> yeah, but it, you don't, let, don't let the truth get in the way of the good story. They, they rack up caps these days a lot quicker than they did in the past. So be, you can never compare one with another. I think a pretty special batsman, uh, Justin. Don't put, your, don't put yourself down. Um, Eddie, you are the ultimate cricket lover. So. Uh, how can I just to give a bit of insight an Aussie insight before the two of you start uh, batting off each other um, it, how did your relationship with Justin develop uh, in, in the first place I remember meeting Justin when he was over here he's got a relationship with Nigel Rain we had a I think it was a Saracens versus a, I don't know what Nigel called his 11 and I remember I was fielding it at deep mid off and uh, Justin skied one I raced and tried to catch it dropped it and then in the next three or four overs, he kept on heating up there. So <laughs> he tested my catching ability. Uh, and then uh, caught up during the lockdown, obviously followed his career, you know, great Australian cricketer and done a great job uh, reinvigorating the Australian cricket team. Yeah, and uh, Justin, how are you enjoying your taste of the, uh, the, the, the little taste of the English summer? Well, it's been nice to get over here. To, to be completely honest, we had three or four months in lockdown in Australia. And, and I say this with great respect and compassion, but I loved every single minute of it. And the reason for that was that last year, I was on the road for 300 days um, with the Australian cricket team. And, and probably for the first time in my adult life, I've seen my kids every single day. I was eating home-cooked meals. I was sleeping in my own bed. I'd, I was doing a lot of work from my office at home and then walking out into my garden or getting my favourite coffee in my kitchen. Um, you know, it was just a magical time and actually a bit of a gift because we spend so much time on the road for, to be able to recharge and our players to recharge. Um, we're going to be potentially a bit rusty now that we're here in England, but it's been a real gift for us and I'm really thankful for that. Knowing the uh, the some of the devastation that Corona's brought, yeah, I like the way you've just 
dropped in the thing, we might be a little bit rusty, you know, give yourself the little, little out and get ready to, to, to batter them tonight. I do like that. One thing um, I know for certain, though, is there's no outs. When it comes to Australia versus England, there's no excuses. And I came here two years ago when I just took over the job. We were in great crisis in Australian cricket with what happened with sand, the sandpaper gate, I guess, in South Africa. And we got flogged 5-0 by England. Uh, so trust me, we will have no excuses. We've, uh, there's great rivalry between the two countries and we can't wait for tomorrow, tonight's game. Just go straight into it. 5-0, like, how, and post the ball tampering, how do you go about rebuilding to now where you've got to in terms of where you are at the test level, at the limited overs, like the, the turnaround being so quick? Uh, how, how do you go about that? Well, again, I think back to this gift of the last four months. When you have a crisis like we had, and when you take, um, you're steering the ship through those crises, you need great energy. And um, it took a lot of time and effort, a lot of energy to get to where we are now, I guess. I think the most important thing for me was that when I took over, you've got to be in leadership or in head coaching, you've got to be very clear what you stand for and what, what become non-negotiables or what you won't compromise on. And for me, it became a lot more than just winning and losing games of cricket. We'd lost respect internationally. We'd lost the, the respect and support of the Australian public. So I guess our higher purpose, or what I stood for, was that we're going to make Australians proud of us again. Because as Eddie will know, and it, 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 cricket in Australia is it's a... It's not a religion, but people love the Australian cricket and they love cricket in Australia. So therefore, we'd lost the support. We'd lost the respect at home and away. So therefore, that was what... And I've said these three words nearly every day for the last two and a half years. Make Australians proud. And that means... And then the the most asked question for me in my first press conference, well, how are you going to do that? And, you know, how are you going to change the culture of the Australian cricket team? And all culture is, is behaviour individual and collective behavior so i said well it's going to take one behavior a hundred behaviors a thousand behaviors a million behaviors for us to make australians proud of us again and earn back respect and hopefully we've done that on and off the cricket field and and how then you 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 go on that first tour you lose five nil to england the worst possible team to lose five nil to i would imagine for an australian i'm only i'm only guessing mentally to yourself what did that do in, ter- in terms of that vision you had, how you interacted with the squad, uh, the initial reaction of the press? Uh, you know, what was, you know, how, did, how did that impact you? Well, that's all part of the gig, isn't it? Um, you know, I'm sure we might talk about the press in a little while, uh, which is a, a huge distraction it's, and, and how you deal. I've learned over my t- two and a half years, one of the most valuable lessons is I've got to be incredibly disciplined with dealing with the media. And that's, with what I say, but it's also with what I listen to or what I hear. I look back on that period and it was almost like Mother Cricket saying, you know what, we're not going to let you off the hook that lightly. You've suspended a few of your players. The game's in crisis. Everyone hates your team. And we're just going to make it. We're just going to give you one more little slap and we're going to let the Poms beat you 5-0. So, and I look back on that period and was it hard at the time? Yeah, it was so hard. It was so tiring. We were getting smashed, but we're better for it. And we learned great lessons. And as a, as a just coming into the head coaching role, my gosh, it's put um, hair on my chest and it's given me skin 
thick as a rhino, but I'm glad I've been through it. And often I've found that in life, the toughest times you go through whilst you're going through it, it is so hard. But you look back as a wiser man two years or 10 years or 20 years down the track, you go, geez, it was hard at the time, but oh, geez, I'm glad I've been through it. Yeah, and, and, and Eddie, I mean, a, a good friend of mine, and we both know him very well, Stuart Lancaster, but you came in post-2015 and maybe perception and reality of where the group were, were, you know, not as close to media will have you. It's the, the end of the world, but it's not quite that bad. But you're going into the same sort of situation as Justin, and it was a home World Cup, England coming out of it. So much the same principles as Justin talked about there, going into to the England team for the first time? Yeah, no, very similar. Uh, you know, put pride back into English rugby. Uh, make the people uh, happy to see the team play with a lot of pride and passion. And uh, you're never that far away, though. You know, the media always builds it up as you're a long way away, and it's only ever 3 to 5%. The differences are so small, but how you change that is a difficult part. And, uh, you know, as Justin said, you've got to be so insistent on what are the correct behaviours what do we need to be really tough on? What what can we be a bit negotiable on and, and get the right people in place? And, you know, as Justin said, you never know you've coached until you've lost five games in a row. You've never coached unless you've lost five in a row. Um, and that's when you find out about about yourself as a coach, your, your team. And, the, and in a lot of ways, they're the most enjoyable experiences, even though you don't like it at the time. But when you get through them, you, you know you've done something good. I'm... Fast the biggest the both the talk about behaviors. Justin, by the way, we try to avoid talking about the media because we work together. So generally myself and Eddie won't talk about the media here just in case we, we tee him up. He will generally hit one for six if you give him a good if you give him a dolly. Um so just in terms of those behaviors and uh looking back, so one of the great batsmen now was right in the world. Uh, and probably ever is is one of the guys right in the midst of that ball tampering uh, for for you. He comes back into your team. Uh, is there is there any uh, the reintegration of that? Is it simple? Is it like how how does that work when you talk about? And I'm not saying dealing with the Maverick because you're obviously dealing with a very special batsman there as well. So how, does that well, cause you challenges? Two. We had two actually, Steve Smith and David Warner. Two, yeah, they're, so they're two true. great players. Yeah. But, I guess in Australia, I'm very closely um, associated with the AFL football team, the West Coast Eagles, and their head coach, Adam Simpson, who now happens to be one of my next-door neighbours, so it's a bit freaky. But we had a player who, um, his name is Willie Rioli, and he, and he failed a drug test. And it was a big deal in, a, in AFL 10 months ago, and it was just before their finals. Anyway the start of the season, Simo goes, well, can we go and have a coffee across the road at the beach? I said, yeah, no worries, let's go. And we had a coffee and he had to drive to work and I was just walking back across the road to home. And as I'm walking back, he rings me, he goes, oh, mate, I forgot to ask you the big question I was asked what I, what I want to have a coffee. I said, what's that? He goes, how did you reintegrate Steve Smith and Dave Warner? Because we've got the same problem with Willie Rioli, that guy with the drug chain. And there's, you know, there's all these scars and the, the players have got, you know, they've got issues with what happened and da-da-da-da. And I said, yeah, mate, I'm, yeah, it was a huge process. And I thought, being an Aussie bloke, an Aussie coach, no, nah, no, nah, don't worry, they'll be fine. Two Aussie blokes, they'll come back in and all be fine. But, my gosh, I'm glad we went. And I kept saying to our administrators and some of the people 
Like, this is overkill. You don't need to be bringing this corporate consultant to be doing all these meetings with uh, Steve and Dave together and the players and having all these meetings and, and getting rid of some of the scar tissue. And I thought, this is overkill. My gosh, I couldn't have been further from the truth. The work he did to work with the players and, um, and to bring back some of those relationships was absolute gold. So when they did come back into the team, it was seamless. But you don't just come back. It's not like a miracle they come back into the team. There was a lot of work that went into rebuilding relationships and having the tough conversations. And I'm so thankful that people had the foresight to, to get that done because when they come in, and you saw it last year, regardless of all the abuse of what happened when we got to England, these guys, they played brilliantly. They were great within the group. And I'm thankful that we went through the, the hard yards to get them back into the team. Yeah, it was pretty. I mean, you you wouldn't you wouldn't know. I I, I joined Harlequins in 2010, uh, a club in England, which went through a like a similar sort of scandal from the outside in terms of Bloodgate. Uh, but actually, when I went in, I found just good people, um, good people at, at the starting point. But then a lot of English people, and Eddie knows them well. Chris Robshaw, who uh, you know, we made captain as a young man then. But we made captain because everything he encapsulated, I want that. I wanted that club to be about uh, because he was down to earth. He was selfless. He was a hard worker. But then he, he and himself, as the ups and downs we have in sport, went through a really difficult time in 2015. He captained the England World Cup team at home. Um, some big moments within that. Eddie was quite outspoken about him in the media before he was the England uh, coach. And I remember chatting to to Eddie when he came in and. Uh, to Eddie talking to me about um, you know the skills of Chris Robshaw was he good enough and I said well when you work with them you'll see why he is so important to a team and he became a real mainstay for that first two or three years for Eddie not as captain but Eddie was there anything leading out of that 2015 and all the good group of players that were coming together the negative impacts that 2015 mentally had on them in terms of that reintegration that Justin talks about that yeah, well, I'm an older version of uh, Australian version of Justin, so I tend to think things will be all right. Um, so I thought <laughs> we were all right, um, and I got a and I made a mistake, and it only came out a couple of years, and then three years later in big games, where the cracks from that 2015 came out, and we had to get a, a actually another Western no South Australian in, uh, a sports site Corinne. Uh, who came in and, and we had a series of meetings before the World Cup. And as it was, the timing, timing, although as bizarre, it seemed like it was right, it actually was a really good point for the team to move forward again. Um, if I had my time again, I'd probably do it earlier. Um, but, uh, yeah, you've always got to deal with those issues. And I think even more so today, I think, because I was talking to someone this morning, I think younger players now have a lot more pressure on them. There's a lot more media pressure on them and they probably carry around a lot more anxiety than we think they do. Well, we know they do. Um, and the older generations tend to think they'll be all right, but you've got to address those issues. We, um, a really interesting comment on that is that there's, again, in AFL, another head coach, Don Pike, who's a friend of mine, they lost yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a couple of years ago. He was coach of Adelaide Crows and they lost to Richmond, a grand final they should have won. And he said what they did wrong was they didn't address it after because 
the grand final. Their players went on their way. And they've had, honestly, since that, since that grand final, same squad, they've had a nightmare run. And he said yeah. he's no longer the head coach. And it, but what it made me think about was everyone on this call would remember when Ben Stokes hit those winning runs in the third test last year. It was literally the worst day of my coaching career. It was, it's like being in the World Cup final in rugby and being 30 points up at half time and you're kicking with the wind and someone scores eight tries to, against you. To, it was like an impossible win. But this is what happened next. I remember, well, first thing that happened, we lose this worst day. And my wife, I was on FaceTime to my wife back home. And she, I'm sitting in my hotel room. And she goes, what are you doing? I go, what do you mean? What am I doing? She goes, what are you drinking? I said, I'm drinking scotch. And she goes, you don't drink. I said, I am tonight, baby. That's how low it was. And anyway, but I couldn't sleep all night. So what happened next? I slept, slept. I kept thinking about the Don Pike theory. So the next morning, we were meant to go for a walk through the streets of Leeds and get abused by the Leeds, everyone on the way to work, and we'd be all the heroes. I said, we're not doing that. We went into the boardroom and we showed all the players the next morning the partnership, the last partnership between... um, that, that, and I, I said, okay, boys, what we're going to do is we're going to watch this together. And they're going, what? And you could see guys going, oh, mate, this happened yesterday. And we sat there and we watched it. And after the fourth ball, our Peter Siddle, who's one of the best Australians you've ever met, great bloke, he goes, oh, coach, you know, we know we messed it up, but we, do we really need it? And I said, Sid, if any of you are your mates, this is about learning. If you don't want to watch this, out now. Get out of the room right now. Get out. And he goes, oh, okay, no, no, no worries. We will do And we sat there. And for 45 minutes, it was pretty uncomfortable to the point, you know, with a run out with, with Nathan Lyon, the LBW that went that was given not out. And then Ben Stokes hit him in the winning runs. But I'll tell you what it was. It was the best thing we ever did. We took it face, we, we, front on. We, um, we all watched it together. Then the next day, we all went down to Derbyshire together instead of four guys going to London. We then played, I remember we played a game of touch football. And I went, oh, and the boys was like letting all this poison out. And they went hard. Nathan Lyon hurt his ankle. I did not give it. They were going 100 miles out playing touch when I'm going, right, eh? And then I said, and this is what we're going to do next. We are going to smash Derbyshire. This isn't a three-day practice game in cold and windy. We're going to smash Derbyshire. The boys, yeah, right, eh? And we beat them in two days and one hour. And we go, right, eh? And then I had lunch with Sir Alex Ferguson the day before the test. So not only the players pumped, I'm pumped. And then we ended up retaining the ashes five days later. So the point is sometimes the hardest times, if you face front on and you get rid of some of the scars and you work through it, sometimes the hardest stuff become, it become 10 of the best days of my coaching career from drinking scotch in my room $10 before. I don't even drink scotch. I hate the But anyway, that's how I was feeling. So that, that's what happens when you address the issues front on. So this is, uh, Eddie, this is the young version of you then that you said, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, did, did you, Justin, bring that energy uh, because the players wouldn't have? So you have to be, there are times where it is player-led, but then there's a time that you go, no, this is when I have to be directive. This is what you're doing. This is what we need to do to get over it. I am going to tell you what's going to happen. Or every was it day. still every, every day. day? 
Yeah, well, that's what leadership is, isn't it? That's what leadership is. And I don't care. I've read that great book, The Captain's Class. I think it's a brilliant book. Everyone should read it. But I don't care whether it's the captain or the head coach. Leadership is the key. Leadership is the number one in success, I think, particularly in crisis. So, and, and if you get a few people going in the same directions, then you, are, you can produce miracles, I think. In the old days in cricket, you had the thing of the captain, and inverted commas, this made the myths of an Irishman looking at cricket, the captain being the main selector, or on that selection panel, the captain seemed to have a huge amount of control. Mm. Is that a myth, or is that a no, reality? No, certainly evolving. I mean, coaching in cricket is very immature to the other sports. But I mean, I remember when I first started playing test cricket, we had Bobby Simpson and we had Errol Orcott, the physio, and we had Mike Walsh, the scorer, who used to pat, used to pay him in Benson and Hedges, and he'd smoke his durries and, and still still um, still score on the old green scorebook. And and you had one of the people on the board would come as the team manager. That was their perk of the job, being on the Australian cricket. Well, they're the team manager. So that's where it was. Now, look at it like all the other, like every sport. We've, we've got about 15 staff here um, and the players. So it's all, it's all evolving. But certainly cricket is unique because for six hours over five days in a test match, the captain runs the show on the field. In a T20 game tonight, we're on the field for an hour and 30 minutes. They're under intense pressure. We give them all the information. But they've got to run the show on the field. That's just that is the game of cricket compared to other sports. That said, what I've learned, if you get a if you get the relationship with the head coach and the captain and the senior players, my gosh, it is so powerful. If you if you don't, if there's a gulf there, you're dead. It doesn't work. I've got I've got this picture you now with your with your glass of scotch and necking that Irish down. Scotch. Irish Scotch, potentially not giving the Benson and Hedges away and smoking them. <laughs> Cricket is, for me, mentally, one of the most challenging sports you could possibly have. You talked there at the start about the lockdown and the joys of actually being with your family. And in rugby, we think we're on the road a bit. It's nothing. I mean, cricket, 300 days on the road. You have these long stretch tours away from the family. I know Eddie is thinking ahead to his kind of COVID secure autumn series where, you know, there's got to be a little interaction with the outside world at times. How do you keep people a mentally fresh? How do you um, spot mental problems that players have? It's it's famous in, in cricket and there are players having breakdowns almost away on tour mm. and keeping that freshness the whole time it must be an unbelievable challenge. Well, there's a couple of things, and Eddie said it before, the young guys seem to be under so much pressure. I've said this for 10 years since being a head coach. I cannot believe the number of young guys between the age of 18 to 36 who have been in my office or my room crying. I can't believe it, mate. And, you know, I was brought up with Alan Border and David Boone. They, they wouldn't even, I don't reckon they would know what a tear is. But <laughs> times have changed, right? And, and, I, and I say this seriously about social media. If I would give my players any advice, it'd be zero social media. Because I'll tell you why. I do not need strangers telling me how good I am. And even more importantly, I don't need strangers telling me how bad I am. Now, I want my people I trust to tell me where I'm at. I know. Why do I want strangers telling me how bad I am? 
And that's what happens. Inside. And that's, that's one of the pressures. Um, and then the other part of this, we sat down with our players in the last three days and went through how it's going to look for the next 12 months. And that's before we even talk about it. At the end of our South African tour, the boys then go to the IPL and then we, then we hopefully have a test championship uh, final. And then we go to West Indies for a one day series. And then we prepare for our T20 world cup in India. And then got, it's got, we got, we got the flipping ashes in Australia, the biggest contest we've got. So we haven't even talked about that yet. We've just talked about the next 12 months. And honestly, sitting there with the players individually, you can see the blood rushing out of their faces. They're not going to see, some of our guys are not going to see their families for the next 173 days. They won't see their family 173 days. How do you deal with it? Well, mate, I guess we're a bit immune to it because we've done it all our adult life. But you've got some of these young kids coming into it. My God, it is a challenge. And we talk about the physical health of our bowlers. We talk about the mental health of our batters just in the good times. Now you add this hub life on top of it. You're not going to see their families for 173 days. So, mate, it's a huge challenge. And I hope people out there who are making these decisions recognise that there's going to be times where we probably can't put our best team on the park every day because they're not going to see their families. And if you're not mentally healthy, let alone physically healthy and fit, you're not going to play your best cricket anyway or your best rugby anyway. So that my head is literally spinning at the moment because we're in the first week of a hub and we've got, I've got the next, well, until next March, where I'm going to be in a hub, where it all finishes in South Africa. So you brought a whole suitcase of scotch with you then because you can't get out to the off-license. It's <laughs> no, terrible. I've got, no, I've got, I've got, I'll tell you a funny story about that. <laughs> When I first joined the Australian cricket team, a few of the guys would come to England and a few guys bought their golf clubs and we got fight bet, got beaten 5-0. So I'm going off, I'm ranting like Eddie would be going, this is not a golf tour, it's a flipping joke. What are these guys, they switched on, they're meant to be playing cricket, they've got their golf tour, da 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 So I'm crapping on, like going off on these rants. And then this time last year, Ed, uh, Ricky Ponting was with us for the World Cup and he is a golf tragic. And he took me to Callaway and got me some new golf, Callaway golf clubs measured up for free. So it's like, it's like a kid at Christmas. I've got these brand new golf clubs in my room and I'm all excited. And now I'm actually addicted to golf, right? So I'm going from the coach who said, this is a joke, bring in your golf clubs. Mate, I'm the first bringing my golf clubs. So if I can't get on the golf course, I'm going to go crazy, right? So... You talk about trying to make things work and things evolving and you evolve as a coach, don't you? You go from a psycho young coach who thinks everything's, and then you start living it and you realize you've got to start. There's got to be some areas you compromise on. So you go from a psycho young coach to a psycho middle-aged coach. Is that it? Pretty much. (laughs) Uh, Just pick it up on that, Eddie. Like, Talk to, talk to me about what you get out of cricket because you love it so much, but also some of those men, because I, I've, I've heard you speak, you know, in the last number of months so much about the whole mental challenge and mental health as well. So like what you learn from cricket, but also some of those mental challenges, both for cricket and rugby. Well, the reason I love test cricket, I love the, the battle, the battle of it. And I always remember as a young kid watching Australia get beaten by, by England. Uh, I think it was 2-0. Bill Laurie was captain. And then Ian Chappell came in as captain at the end of the series and just changed the way Australia play cricket. And he brought this fight. He brought this 
were in it together and you just felt like there was something happening here. And I always want my teams to play like that. And I, I love that that battle in the in the in the cricket where if you lose a session, you've got to get the next session back. And it's the same in rugby, you know. You know, Connor, if you lose ten minutes, you've got to get the next ten minutes back and you've got to find a way to get it back. And to me, you know, you learn so much about your players and the selection in test cricket and the selection in test rugby is very similar. You're looking for similar sort of players who can, who can find a way to adapt to the situation. Um, the mental health of players, I think you just got to pay more attention to that now, um, particularly in terms of having specialist staff. Um, you know, we, we would have a sports site back 20 years ago for two or three days a week and that was enough. Um, and even back in 2015 with Japan, we had a part-time sports psych. And just about when we were leaving to go on, to go to the World Cup, the players came up and requested the sports psych to be full-time. She just had a baby, so we had to organise a babysitter and came on the, on the World Cup with a baby. And they're the sort of things, you've got to have that right support mechanism in place. And I think performance psychologists now are just so important to the to to your team in, in supporting the players because the rest of the environment is challenging them. You know, it's it's getting them to work hard, it's getting them to be better. So they've got to have that support mechanism under them. I I know we're on a match day here, so like the way this is flowing, and we'll go for for a good a good bit more yet, Justin. But I don't want to hold you on on a match day. But um, I'm going back to your five nil and moments in your career. Two questions here. We've talked a lot in some of the conversations, and this is for a lot of community coaches listening in. But we talked about sliding doors moments with Eddie and other coaches that come on moments in matches that have changed maybe your playing career and where you were going that it could have gone one way or the other are the same when you looked at a session in cricket that if it had gone one way in your coaching career, it might have changed your whole coaching career. So that's one question. Can you think of something? And uh, secondly, the coaches that have had that have made you the coach you are today, like uh, who, who, have, who have you reflected on and said, these are the people I've learned of? Well, a great exercise, I think, for the coaches who are listening to this is that when the Two days after I became head coach for the first time, there's a great AFL coach, Kevin Sheedy. He was the coach of the Essendon Footy Club for a very long time. And he happened to be at the Wacker, my home ground. And he was there for, and he was, he'd just written a book or something. And he, I just happened to write, it was a complete fluke. And he said, and we started talking and he goes, I'll give you some advice, youngster. I said, what is that, Mr. Sheedy? He said, go home tonight and get your journal out and write down all the best coaches you've had in your life from the time you were a young kid all the way through. And then I went, okay. He said, write down their strengths. Write down what you loved about them. So I did that. And, mate, it was an amazing exercise because he said what will happen is that like those coaches, it'll be that the, you take all their strengths and everything you've learned, and that's the sort of coach you'll become because you want to take their good points. And, and it's a great exercise for any coach, young coach, senior coach. And what actually happened then, I only took the, my under eights cricket coach, my junior footy coaches, to, through to Bob Simpson, through to batting coaches I had. Then I started talking about mentors I've had, Greg Chappell and Steve War and um, Rod Marsh. And mate, it is fascinating. And, and it was such a great exercise. So I, I would recommend that to anybody. Um, Sliding door moments, yeah, and often you look back on the toughest times. We got beaten by India in 
uh, my first, we lost 5-0 to England. And then we went to the UAE and got beaten by Pakistan. And then we went to the first test series and we got beaten by India for the first time in our history. First time in the history of Australian cricket, we got beaten by India. And we had a session at the MCG after we'd got been beaten. And I asked the players for some feedback. And some of them gave us some pretty serious feedback, right? And I got so I was that punchy. But actually what happened, it was a really defining moment for some of my relationships with some of the players. And the same guy, who uh, Tim Ford, who, bought, who helped with the reintegration of Steve Smith and David Warner, he caught up with me, I know, a few weeks later. And I'd known Tim for a long time. He helped me when I first was head coach at WA as an initiative through the CA. And we sat down in this little coffee shop and he goes, oh, I'll give you some feedback. I said, no worries, fire away. And he gave me some really positive feedback. And then he gave me a few, he goes, and there's a few things I think you're going to have a look at. And he gave it to me. And I remember listening, listening. I got this big smile on my face. And you could tell me, you could tell he was a bit apprehensive about giving me this feedback. I said, right, eh? And I started smiling. He goes, what are you smiling at? I go, mate, bring it on, baby. So my favourite quote in life is the pain of discipline is nothing like the pain of disappointment. And this is going to take some real discipline for me. But that's great. This is my motto in life. So bring it on. And it wasn't until I got that feedback and I went on the back of getting beaten by India, I go, I wouldn't be sitting here now unless I had have been given that feed, that honest feedback. And I think as a coach sometimes, there's an old saying, another old saying, I don't want to sound like a knob giving you all these cliche sayings, but there's an old saying in life, <laughs> if you preach excellence and walk mediocrity, you're nothing but a common liar. So I can't preach to our players. We're going to give you honest feedback. We won't take honest feedback. And one of our values is elite learning, so you're going to learn. I can't tell that to everyone else and not take it on myself. So that feedback was really valuable. It was at the end of losing all those games at the start of my coaching career. Um, and I think that was a really important moment in my... In my and, and I had, sorry, I had one more moment. After that, th- the last test in Sydney... We were, and I've been going out with my wife since I was 14 years old. So she's seen it all. And I was at Sydney, the fifth, fourth test of the summer. And my wife, she was flying back to Perth that, that day. I was going to work to the fourth day of the test match. And my wife's there with my four daughters. And she started crying at the breakfast table. And I, I said, what are you crying about? You don't cry. I've never don't seen my cry, but my wife cry. About it. I go, what are you crying? She goes, oh, I don't like this. I don't like what this job's doing to you. I don't like this job's doing to the family. I don't like what people are saying about you and the team. And she got really up. And that was a sliding doors moment. I had her feedback. I had the feedback from the corporate consultant who I trusted. And my God, I made a few changes. And thank God I did. Well, unlike, unlike Eddie or myself, you have the ability, and people listening in will understand, not alone to drink scotch and smoke the Benson and Hedges that you haven't given away, but also you're a black belt. Is that right? A black belt in martial arts. That's why when they do give me some feedback, I keep saying, make sure you give me Dugfo. I'll take you in the dunny and beat the shit. It's a funny thing because we've got the fight club now in the team. Since Because I, I love my boxing. I love Muhammad. I love my boxing. I still, I'm still devastated when your guy Hatton beat our bloke Costa Zoo. I'm still scarred <laughs> by it. I can't believe... Hatton beat Costa Zoo, my all-time favourite. Although Costa Zoo's kid now, he's a gun boxer. 
Um, yeah, Ricky Hatton isn't Irish now. R Ricky Hatton isn't Irish. When you say you're a guy, just, just get it right there. Okay, so Tommy, Ricky Hatton, I say he's tough. But anyway, um, but we've got the fight club now in the Australian cricket team. So we we get the boys. And it's just started the last few weeks. So any of the guys who want to come, because I love my boxing. I love, I train, you know, I do some boxing every second day at home. And now we're building it into the Australian cricket team. I think boxing, for, especially for batting, there is no better sport to replicate batting than there is boxing. So that's why we bring it into the team. How much, uh, two of you, because Eddie, you do a lot of, and I only learnt, sadly, about dominant eyes when I was in the mid-90s, and it was too late for me to understand that I was good over one side catching the ball and not so good over the other, and um, why it exposed me because my left-footed and right-eyed, etc. Both of you do quite a lot. Well, obviously, cricket does. And, Eddie, I'll go to you first. Just in terms of this vision and learning from other sports uh, about how to correct those those issues. What what do you do visual, visually with England or with teams down the past? And Justin, it'll be the same to you after. Uh, yeah, we've tried a number of different things, um, but it always comes down to good practice, mate. Uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to good practice. So we've used Cheryl Calder uh, for iGym, which has been successful, won the, South, won the World Cup with South Africa in 2007. And she makes a difference, but... I, but at the end of the day, it comes down to good practice. And I think you've always just got to be looking at the player and see what he needs and creating the right environment for him to get better in. Uh, Justin? Well, I think I, I look at, I, I agree 100%. We can try, we, um, we can do all sorts of different things, but ultimately it's about, I look at Steve Smith. Steve Smith is a jet. He's the best batsman in the world. And I, I played with players like Mike Hussey and Michael Clark and Ricky Ponting and Matthew Hayden who practiced a lot. They were like, they loved practicing. No surprise there. They were the best in the game. But Steve Smith practices twice as much as the bloke I knew practiced the most. I've never seen a bloke who practices more than Steve Smith. And the point, the reason I say that is that there's no, there's no secret to it. You know, Steve Smith is the best problem solver in the world. That's why he's the best bat, batting's about problem solving. And the reason he becomes a good problem solver is because he practices problem solving by practicing so much. You know, it's, it's, there's no secret to it. He is, and now we've got this Manus Labashain, this kid who, and it's been a great lesson again in, in coaching. We talk about the big brother, little brother, or the master and apprentice. Manus Labashain hangs out with state. They drink coffee together. They have breakfast, lunch, dinner together. If they're not practicing together, they're playing tennis together or playing table tennis together. If they're not doing that, they're talking cricket together. If they're not doing that, they're playing the old board game, test match cricket together. They are the, the biggest cricket tragics I've ever seen in my life. But as a coach, it is the best thing that's ever happened because it's the master and apprentice. The best, one of the all-time greats, and he's got the kid who's becoming an all-time, going to become an all-time great. They just hang out together. And I think about, I had Alan Border, my first captain. I had Steve Waugh. I had Ricky Ponting. And I was like this little, this little apprentice trying to work, watch and learn from the masters. And I think there's real power in that. Um, you both, and there's a question came in before this uh, from Hannah in London about you both bring former players into your environments. Justin, you mentioned bringing Ricky Ponting been on board with you last year when you were when you were over here. Eddie, you do it the whole time in terms of players. You have Johnny coming in, kicking Will Carling coming in. Who do you identify? Why do you bring them in? What impact are you looking for them to have when they come in? 
again, I, I used to have this like, this saying up on my wall in the West Australia when I was when I was head coach there, and it's, I never went to Harvard, but I employ a lot of people who did. So in other words, I want to bring the best people in to, to teach our young guys, not just how to become better cricketers, but how to become better men. And if I bring Ricky Ponting or Steve Waugh or Mike Hussey into the team, we've got George Bailey here at the moment, who's as good a human being as you've ever met. They are going to help our blokes become better cricketers and better people. So, and ultimately that's what it's about. Um, and that's why you bring them in. I, I haven't got one millisecond of, um, a lot of people say, oh, what, you bring them in? I know you feel threatened by that. It's the absolute opposite. You bring the best people in. It makes you look better anyway because you're going to play better. Eddie? Yeah, no, no, I couldn't agree more. Always find people who are better than you uh, and find, find people who the players relate to. You know, Will Carling's from the 1990s, but from the most successful England side. And he brings some certain values that maybe been lost a little bit. And he's helping the players learn some of those good values. Um, then we bring Haskell in, who's, you know, who brings a great... But he's, he's great because he brings a lot of energy and he's, he's funny. And, and those guys all help. So you wanna, you, you're always looking for something a little bit different. That's what you need at the particular time. Um, but you can't, you've always got to learn from the best. Find, find the best people and bring them in. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, Eddie, can we arrange for Haskell versus Justin Langer in the, in the Dunny? Because Haskell's the MMA fighter, isn't he? And we'll go for Justin Langer, and I reckon it could be a great fight. What about it? I'm a lover, not I a think fighter, mate. <laughs> <laughs> come to Haskell. Well, I think yeah. Haskell could go, mate. He'd be all right. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Justin, on the day that's in it, um, can I just say, Wow, what a pleasure. I've never had an opportunity to talk to you. The enthusiasm and just the infectious nature of your personality. Um, I know there's a, I think it's the six o'clock kickoff tonight in rugby is uh, is Bristol Worcester, isn't it, Eddie? But um, you're, you're off at the same time. I'm almost going to be watching the T20 tonight. Oh, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you. I, I could go on for hours and I'd love at some stage to not share a scotch, but to share a beer with you. Um, it's uh, been a real pleasure. So thanks very much on behalf of the RFU for coming on board and having Any this chat. Anytime, boss. Any guy, thanks a lot. Thanks, Eddie. Great to see you, mate. Good on you, Justin. Be good to catch up if we can. Awesome. Good thanks, boss. Good on you, mate. Well done. Well done, Connor. Cheers, all. Yeah. Cheers, boys. Thanks very much to Justin Langer for taking the time to speak to us. That was one of my favourite chats so far. Remember to keep your reviews and ratings coming in on Apple Podcasts and iTunes for the chance to win a signed England shirt, which is what these two have done. 12.5 writes, fascinated by coaching, trying to get better, and Eddie never disappoints. Beautifully presented by Connor, probably my mother saying that. While Faz1313 says, no wonder Eddie Jones has been so successful. He doesn't hide anything. He's a great mentor. Sharing information is absolutely the best policy in developing the next generation of coaches. Outstanding. Thanks very much, Faz1313. Next week, we have another Australian on with World Cup winner Joe Roth. Hopefully, we'll see you then. Mm-hmm.